Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. quick before we get the show started, I want to share with you something that we're really excited about. Mike and I launched Principles of Program Design just about two years ago. And since then, we've been working really hard on building more and more content. And we're finally ready to release some of that great new stuff. We're having a updated version of our original online foundations course where we've added three new bonus chapters. We've also updated our live course. And we're going to be doing that in April at Scale of Strength in Massachusetts. We also have three brand new online courses, including our exercise coach course, where we teach you our belt system of how we progress and regress and coach exercises, as well as group mastery, where Mike shares his systems for how he implements his successful group fitness training programs up at Skill of Strength, as well as something called Primed, where we teach you about programming warmups And then in addition to that, we're also launching a virtual mentorship where we're going to work hands-on with a select handful of coaches and trainers working with you every week on how to develop the best systems and programs to build a successful career. And then in addition to that, we're putting together a free ebook as well as a supporting webinar where we're going to give you our top 10 tips to a successful career in the fitness industry. We're going to share with you our secrets and our systems that we use that have helped us open up our facilities, as well as speak around the world and work with some of the best athletes uh, out there. And so to get more information on all of this, go to principleswebinar.com and you can find out about all the new and exciting stuff. Now, let's get ready to get started with the show. And away we go. Here we are with episode number 67 of the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my co-host, Mike Perry. And for those of you at home keeping score, yes, we're a little out of sequence here with number 67. Sometimes that happens when we interview a guest and uh, it's a little out of of sequence. So uh, we apologize for that. But either way, we have a good show because it's just Mike and I today. And we got a bunch of stuff to cover about a, a, a topic we get a ton of questions about. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is something that a lot of people neglect and a lot of people have done the same old, same old thing. But um, when you understand the evaluation and the assessment process and the intake process, and you know how to take the information from those assessments and create a warm up, that is where you can not only prepare the individual to warm up, but you can you can change the movement competency. You can get a little bit of aerobic work. You can work on tissue quality. There's so many reasons why warming up is very, very important. But again, people don't have systems. People don't know why they warm up. They do the same old thing. They hug their knee. They put their arm across their chest. They do a couple butt kicks and call it a day. But today we're going to really dig a little bit deeper into warmups and we're going to talk about various topics regarding warmups. Yeah. I think the first thing before we get into the, the nitty gritty of warmups is your clients will prioritize their warmup as much as you prioritize their warmup. And so if they're not used to that type of culture where, where warmups are critical, um, they're, they're not going to give it a whole lot of thought. And we'll talk a little bit about their intent and focus in a minute. But, you know, I think of my one client that I used to have where, and he's like, all right, let's go. And I said, you know, we, we, we got to warm up first. He's like, I ran up the stairs. I'm like, come on, that doesn't work. And, and especially for this guy, because this was an individual who is at the time, I'm going to say he was probably in his fifties and I can appreciate that now as, as, as so am I. And as you get older, your warmup becomes even that much more critical. And, um, you know, Mike, I don't know if you've seen the memes that go around on social media now where it's like, well, if you own this alarm clock or if you had a Sony Walkman, you need to be doing these warmups. Like 
um, the older you get, the more critical it becomes because it takes a little bit longer. It's kind of like an old diesel. It takes a little bit longer. And so we used to joke with the one guy when I was young at our gym, because, you know, at one of our workshops, they talked about how for every decade after 20, you need to extend your warm up by X amount of minutes. And we used to tease him, you know, you better start your warm up now for, for tomorrow's workout. But age is a big, big consideration. And so the, the older we get, the more that the critical that warm up is. Uh, and that we can't just go ahead and jump right into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always use the analogy of the crock, the crock pot versus the fry later. Um, and I, I tell people, look, when we're young, we can move very, very easily and we can warm up very, very quickly. We're like a, we're like a fry later, right? But as we get older, we're a crock pot, right? And what does that mean? It just takes a little bit longer to get things cooking, right? And that's really what it's all about. So as we get older, I want you to start thinking about, hey, I should probably think about the crock pot a little bit more than I am for the fry later. Because um, look, older bodies do not warm up quickly unless you're in Southern Florida and that's a different conversation. So, um, but age consideration um, is absolutely uh, something that we need to discuss because um, look, when you get older, you can get injured sleeping. So if and you're not going to do a warm up for sleep, right? So we need to think about ways to maintain our body, right? If you have a vehicle that's 40 years old, you're probably going to do a little extra work and then a little extra maintenance, right? Well, it's the same thing with the body. We need to take care of it, especially as we get a little bit older. Now, also, because there are certain mobility restrictions that will start to accumulate over time, and there are commonalities, and we'll talk about the 244 systems and how we address that in a little bit. Um, and then also the, the importance of, of warming up in terms of getting people to understand their focus and intent when they do it. Usually, as Mike said, people just kind of go through the motions. And I see this even with, with teams that I work with, they don't kind of put their, their focus into it. And it's a shame because there's a lot of gold that can be had during that time. So we want to make sure that, that people are focusing on it. One of the key ways to do that is to center around breathing. And uh, Mike, you could talk a little bit about this as well as terms of using timing versus reps. But setting breathing as the tone for everything for those reps or for trying to move into each thing, that breathing is going to be the, the centerpiece of all of it. So say, okay, as we go down into this, we're going to exhale. As we come up, we're going to inhale. And generally, we know that uh, connecting inhalation with excitation. So if we're doing some sort of contract, relax or something like that, or we need stability, that's where we want to have the inhale. And then we're trying to lengthen or trying to create more range. That's where we want to have the exhale. Yeah. And, and here's the cool thing, right? You can use these type of breathing patterns to help facilitate your movement, right? So it's understanding what breathing pattern to pair with the movement, because there's going to be times where, again, we want to focus on the exhale. We want to focus on relaxing, but there's also time we want to focus on a quick inhale where we want to get a little bit more excitability. So, um, you know, a lot of people think, well, you shouldn't do diaphragmatic breathing at the beginning of a training session. Well, that's actually absolute crap because if we want to have a little bit of a window to make a little bit of change, downregulate tone, breathing is going to be a strategy to do that. But if we're doing a sports performance training session where, where we are going to train hard, then after that, we're going to ramp them back up. So, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things, depending on how the session is laid out, we're going to dial things down and we're going to ramp them up. But at the end of the day, the result is what matters. So there's so much that can be gained when it comes to mobility and breathing. And especially when it comes to the upper body, because one thing that I've seen, and I, I know you've seen this, Eric, is, you know, a lot of people, as they get a little bit older, they have these sort of anatomical um, adaptations that happen over time. We get a little bit of a forward head posture. Um, you know, we get that kyphotic T-spine, uh, we tend to lose hip mobility, we tend to, you know, lose our overall shoulder mobility. Um, and that's even more of a reason why as we get a little bit older, we really have to focus and pay attention to our warm up. I tell my older athletes, if you can't get a good warm up, I don't want you lifting heavy. So the other thing with, with intent and focus is that there, we live in a world of, with a lot of distraction. And if I want to get the most out of my training, like um, I think Andy Galvin talks about the line that he has in his gym. Like once you cross that line, like it's, it's now go time and you need to shut off everything else in the outside world. That means put that phone to the side, unless we're using it for uh, some sort of tracking, like heart rate or, or, or any feedback like that, put the phone to the side. We don't want your phone. Okay. And then that breathing can also be a way to kind of reset and focus to get you present. I need you here. 
All right, let's tune out whatever happened prior to now. Let's tune out whatever's going to happen after this, this next half hour, 45 minutes, an hour. We need to lock in, and this is about you, and this is about you getting better. So breathing in that respect helps kind of shift the focus. And what I talk about with athletes is change your state. Now, we will talk about uh, connecting with readiness later and how I may want to leverage breathing to either ramp up or calm down additionally based on your readiness. But the other thing is to, to not get lost on, on the warm-up is the, is the huge opportunity cost that we lose if we don't leverage this time. And uh, what I mean by that is that uh, Zach Deshant, who's, a, who's brilliant, who's the head director of performance at, at TCU, he has a great program on warmups. And one of the things he talks about, he's like, if I have these athletes and their warmup is, let's just say you have somebody three times a week and you've allotted 12 to 15 minutes for warmups. And let's say you see them 48 weeks a year, that's, that's 36 hours total of learning of uh, things that you can have interaction and intervention with. And we all know that our biggest hurdle and our biggest obstacle with, with getting people fit and working with people is time. And so we're giving up 36 hours a year if we don't really get the most out of this time. And so we really need to appreciate what we can do, what we can sneak in, what we can get out of this. And, and it doesn't have to be all that complicated if you have a system to it. But the first thing we need to appreciate is one, you know, like I've said, you got to appreciate the warm up itself. I had a guy that, that I remember I used to do camps with and he used to say, oh, cheetahs don't stretch. We don't need to, we don't need to warm up. They don't warm up. I'm like, well, cheetahs don't sit in desks and chairs all day either. Cheetahs don't have cell phones like that. You can't make, that's like a, a terrible comparison. Um, and, and we're not cheetahs. Um, so that doesn't matter. So what we have to do is look at this and say, okay, well, first of all, warmups are not stretching. And that's a huge, huge misconception is that, oh, let's, we need to get a stretch before we warm up. And there are cases where, and, and I'll talk about it in a minute, but I want to get your feedback, Mike, on the difference between warmups and stretching, because there's cases I'll talk about where stretching may actually be the worst thing to do as a warm up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we always talk about this in our courses, how the evaluation and the assessment pro process and the intake process actually starts to write the program for us. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I think people forget about in the warm up portion of the workout is the actual point where they're getting warm. I mean, if you think about a sweat shirt and sweat pants, look like old school, rocky gray, right? There's a reason why they were designed sweat shirt, sweat pants, because you want to heat up. Everybody moves better when they're warm. So look, throw on some layers and you can, you can peel those layers off, but warming up is just simply getting the body heated up, stretching, is very, very different. Now, do you warm up when you stretch? Yes, but you can also be relatively cool and stretch at the same time. But stretching can be very, very beneficial for the individual that needs specific stretching to make interventions in their training program that are going to result in positive adaptations. So awesome. But what about that individual that's hypermobile? What about the gymnast that is hypermobile, um, that has zero stability, zero control? Um, what are we going to do with them? Stretching an individual? that is already hypermobile or already cannot control their body, stretching is the worst thing you can do. And, and look, people are going to get very offended when you say you shouldn't stretch. And, and it is what it is. Stretching is not necessary. Everyone thinks the magic thing to do with their body is if we stretch, it'll take care of everything. It's just one thing. And honestly, if you are a very mobile individual, you may want to consider ditching the stretching and just doing a little bit more, you know, traditional warm-ups based off of stability and balance. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But my point is, is that if you just stretch everybody at the beginning of the workout, you're doing a lot of your clients a disservice. Yeah. And some of it may be semantics. And, and that's why we'll move to more terms like movement preparation, or this is your, your preparation phase for your, your warm-up. But then going back to what you were saying about, you know, where stretching may not be a good thing. And on a collective, I have a lot of people that come to me and say, oh, you know, my son's baseball coach stinks because he doesn't even have him stretch before practice or before the games. And I said, well, how old is your, how old's the team? He's like, well, they're nine. They should be stretching first. I'm like, no, nine-year-olds do not need to stretch. It, it, that's the last thing they need to do. So uh, no, you don't need to stretch, but can they benefit from some warm-up activities and more almost activation activities? Because let's remember that, that what makes muscles go is our nervous system. And what we want to do is sometimes we want to ramp that up. Sometimes we want to, we want to drive that down as we'll talk about later with your cool down. 
And so even creating more extensibility in tissues is not something that especially young kids need. Young kids need to learn how to move. They need control. And that control is a learning process. And that needs to put them in, con in confined uh, areas where they have to learn how to move better. And so simple things like walking lunges, like skipping, like those sorts of things, what people have always termed as a dynamic warm-up, that's going to have a better carryover to that group. Now, does that mean no one should ever static stretch beforehand? Because there are some research that there is some research that shows, you know, okay, well, if you stretch a tissue before you go and do some sort of activity, it's going to pull strength out of that. It's going to take down your power input. And yes, and, and as Mike says, sometimes we're trying to pull some hyperactivity out of there because you're overactive in those tissues. But I'm not doing that stretch immediately before I go into you know my, my high effort work. Number one is I'm going to do something else in between. And it's almost like I always say, it's like tuning a guitar. You know, When you tune a guitar before you go play, you don't just tighten all the strings. You don't just loosen all the strings. You tighten the, the ones that need tightening and you loosen the ones that need loosening. So it's, it's a little bit more artful than that. Now, before we jump away from, from the mobility thing, we, under, we understand that as people do age, right? And this is not nine-year-olds, it's not 13-year-olds. This is as people age and they spend more time primarily because of sitting in desks and chairs for a large portion of their day and a large portion of their life, they start to have these adaptations, whether, whether it's tissue shortening, whether it's uh, more joint surface that doesn't get the full range of motion or or joints that don't move into different planes of movement, we need to now restore movement in three key areas. And so Mike, kind of talk a little bit about how you landed on the 244 system and how we utilize that for kind of picking and choosing what things you do, especially as you work with older populations like you see in your group fitness programs. Yeah, so um, you know, a big part of this came from the original research uh, from functional movement systems, which were, um, to, to keep it very, very simple, um, about two-thirds of the population is going to have a restriction in ankle mobility, specifically ankle dorsiflexion. Um, hip mobility, you know, it, it is what it is. We're gonna, there's some global movements that we do for that. And then lastly, um, their sort of thoracic spine and shoulder. So what I did was I said to myself, well, look, if if we know that the, the, the primary areas that need to move a little bit more are the ankles, the hips, the T-spine and the shoulders, let's try to put together a comprehensive uh, warm-up system that addresses that. And that's how I came up with the 244 system. And, and it's very, very simple. It's two ankle mobility drills. One uh, generally addresses uh, the ankle joint, the interior ankle joint, and the other will address the calf and the soft tissue on the backside. Depending on the individual, we may do more calf, we may do more ankle mobilization. It really doesn't make a difference, but we, we start off with two uh, mobility drills to improve ankle dorsiflexion. And then we go into our hip mobility. Now, depending on, you know, what we're going to be doing on that day, um, we're going to, we're going to sort of customize it depending on the lifts, but we're going to give people, um, four hip mobility drills. And if they're squatting, it's going to be biased more towards bilateral, uh, drills. If they're doing a single leg drill, it's going to be biased towards single leg. And if they're doing a split stance drill, it's going to be more biased towards split stance. So the warm up is actually going to be written almost after the workout, because if we know the workout, then we can design the warm up that will support that. And, and that's the reason why we do it the way that we do it. So moving on, lastly, we have the, the T-spine and shoulders. And, and look, um, most adults, that's where we see changes in their posture, right? If someone has, you know, tight hip flexors or tight quads, it's really, really tough to see sort of when they're just walking around. But um, there's no mistake when you see someone with a, you know, forward head posture, kyphotic T-spine, they're probably going to have some restrictions. So, um, and and that's sort of how the 244 system came about, right? Um, it was just simple. I need repeatable ways to get people moving. And we've got, you know, three, four, five different templates that follow that 244 um, methodology and it works really, really well. And another key part of it is, is make sure that when you're running it, you're not doing reps that you're just doing time. And it's a lot easier to run the class when everybody's starting and stopping at the same time. So, um, the two, four, four system is awesome. We use it daily within our, um, within our gym SOS. And, um, we actually have a whole course on it too. And, uh, it really digs deep into all the various components of the two, four, the two, four, four system and, and the why, et cetera. So it's uh, it's something that's been working quite well for a long time. Now explain why you use, and, and, and in the course, there are warm up course, why we use time versus reps 
in when you're prescribing the warm-up? So everybody will complete repetitions uh, at a different rate of speed. Some people, if you ask them to do 10 reps, they're going to do 10 reps in 15 seconds. Someone else is going to do 10 reps in 30 seconds. So because of the fact that people will warm up and they will complete the movements at a different rate of speed, giving them repetition-based warmups is just silly because all you're going to be doing is waiting for people to finish. And then people are going to be looking at you going, I'm done, coach. What do I do now? Well, when you start everybody at the same time and you stop everybody at the same time, it just gives you a lot more control and it gives you the opportunity to walk around and coach one movement while everybody's starting and stopping at the same time. So if they're paying attention, you should have 30 seconds to walk around and, you know, uh, you know, give individuals some basic cues that they need to move a little bit better. So again, it's just, it's a simple way to, to address things, but um, I love using time because really what it does is it just keeps everybody on the same page. And when you're running groups, um, in a way you kind of have to run them like you're training a bunch of toddlers and, and it sounds silly, but here's why adults come in, they chit chat, they don't pay attention. They're talking about the weekend, just like kids do. So we got to reel them in. So, you know, when you're in front of the class and you say, all right, guys, three, two, one, everybody set going and go. They start the drill. You walk around, you, you, you cue them up. You make sure that they're, you're coaching them in their prep. Everybody finishes at the same time, and then you can move on to the next drill. So it's just, it just makes your life that much easier from a coaching standpoint. Now we should preface that what we're talking about here with that, with simply picking two drills for the ankles, four for the hips and four for the T-spine. Those are one, those are not just mobility bias drills. There's, there's some stability, motor control, uh, and, and kind of activation within there. And two is that these are warmups for a general fitness workout. There's nothing 100%. very specific about this workout, right? So if you're going to do a very specific type of workout, you may need a more specific type of warmup. So as an example, in the teams that I work with, we have one warmup that we do for the weight room and it looks a lot like two, four, four. And then we have one that we do for the field, which is completely different, right? The one on the field is much more dynamic because it's going to be a much more dynamic activity. And so we need to make sure that there's some specific warm up for whatever task that you're going to have to do. And part of that warm up is going to be actually doing more um, low velocity, lower intensity versions of that thing. Right. So if you're going to be doing some sprinting, you're going to build up with some uh, doing some things like buildups where we'll go and I explain it, it, you know, like we have three gears and I'll say, okay, we're going to go for 20 yards at first gear, which is like a light jog. Okay. Uh, this next 20 year, 20 yards is going to be a fast jog, but not a run. And then the last 20 yards, we're going to let it go a little bit. So you're building up. It's kind of these, these flying twenties that build ramp up over the course of 60 yards. And we'll do, anywhere from two to four of those, depending on some other factors, depending on temperature, right? So if I have team out on a field, we need to take a little longer to warm up because if it's getting towards the end of the football season or it's early on in the baseball season and it's that really chilly, you know, 38 degree gray day, we're going to need a little bit more time to warm up. So need to factor that in as well, but you need to make sure that your, your, your warmup is specific to the task. Now, if you're going to be doing some bigger lifts, you're probably going to warm up for the, those lifts by doing specific light warmups. And I'm going to get to that in a minute and kind of my recipe for, for that. And I want to get your take on that, Mike. And then if you're going to be doing like power things, we probably want to start ramping up power a little bit as we go. So understand that you can't just have one general warm up that that suits all because it because unless you're having the same workout all the time. Yeah, I mean I'll actually do a secondary warm up with my athletes. So if we warm up and we could do our power work and we do a little bit of speed work and then we lift and then we're going to get into some a little bit of athletic based movement at the end, I'll spend another 2 to 3 minutes just hitting some skips again, you know, even doing some basic multi-directional drills at a low level just to keep them uh, just to keep them moving, but also from a cognitive standpoint, if we are doing reactive stuff, it's going to give their brain a little bit of time and their nervous, uh, their nervous system, a little bit more time to move quickly. Right. Because the body's going to respond to the stimulus that you give it or the environment that you put it in. So, um, if you are 
you know, lifting weights and you're, you know, let's say you're lifting heavy and, but you're moving a weight that's slower. If the next block is something that's going to be a little bit more explosive or a little bit more reactive in nature, um, you're going to want to do something to get their body prepared. And I'm not saying you do another 10 minute warm up, but you know, getting their feet ready, you know, working on a little bit of ladder work, even just getting some foot contacts in. I mean, there's a, there's so many different ways to do it, but, um, I think that you need to prepare the body accordingly based off of whatever you're going to expose it to and whatever stressor you're going to expose the entire system to. Um, you know, if you're going to be doing something quickly, like sprinting, then you need to build up to that. If you're going to be doing something from a power standpoint, you need to build up. And I think that's one of the things that people don't do when it comes to specificity. I don't think that they deliberately change the warm up to reflect various parts of uh the training session or various parts of the day right i mean if i have an athlete that's just coming in and it's fight week for a for a fighter right they're not doing a bunch of plyos right they're just coming in and they're going to do some mobility work and they're just going to sweat so the the warm-up's going to change based off of what we're asking them to do so you know i think the big the big sort of picture with all this stuff guys and, and again we're going to dig a little bit deeper is there's a lot more to this stuff than you think it's not just knee hugs and arm grabs right Hey everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. Yeah. And so um, a couple of points take out of it. One is when you're talking about this ebb and flow over the course of a session and you say you may be weaving in and out between strength and power or speed and so forth, is that one of the ways you can artfully add this in instead of, okay, we did this block. Now we're going to warm up for the next block. We don't necessarily have to do that. That's what we incorporate when I talk about the five F's of when I put together a workout. Fillers is one of them. So let's say I have a block that I'm going to start off the session with that has, you know, maybe some more power related stuff, but that next block has a heavy lift, deadlift, bench squat, whatever it may be. I can start sneaking in warm up sets for that. It's not going to take away from my power and my power and speed stuff. And I can start sneaking some of those in, or like if Mike's talking about, he's got some athletic movement stuff, he can start sneaking in some of that footwork as active rest in between his sets. Now, yeah. in terms of warming up for the big lifts, there are, there are different ways you can ramp up. Um, and in, depending on how heavy you're going to go, depending on how specific you're going to be, if it's a powerlifting type of workout there, you can dial it in even a little bit more, but for the, for the general public who just kind of goes in and like, it's a plate and then it's a plate and a quarter, and then it's two plates. Like that's not a system whatsoever. So you need to do a little bit more math with that. So what I always tell everybody is say, okay, whatever our first heavy set is going to be first really working set that we're counting on any big lift, what we're going to do is we're going to start off with a warm up with about 50% of that. So let's say we're going to, we're going to shoot for a 300 pound deadlift and we're going to try to hit that for three to five, let's say today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to put 150 on the bar and let's try to hit that for somewhere between five and 10. Now within the reason why I have that big range of five to 10 is I want to get enough that you feel like the groove of, of, of that activity because it's a nervous system based thing or I want you to get comfortable where you're kind of feeling just like a, a pitcher is trying to warm up and hit their spots. I want you to kind of feel that groove, but I don't want you getting tired. These aren't work sets. These are ramp up sets. So if you get to eight and you feel like you have to turn the corner a little bit and put in a little bit of grind, I don't want that. Put it down. So that's where I kind of have a pretty open-ended thing in the first set of five to 10. As soon as you feel the groove, but you don't get tired, boom, we're good. And that's at 50%. Now we may, may go then do some other activities and then we're going to come back and all right, let's hit 75% and let's hit that for somewhere between three and six. Same, same rules apply. Leave a couple in the tank, never turn the corner, never feel like you're really grinding or, or putting in a whole ton of effort. Just get really good at this movement over those three to five reps. And the more, uh, the longer someone's training age is, the longer they've been doing an, an, a movement, the quicker they'll get to that point. Now, at that point, if they feel like they're good, we may go into their work set or a lot of times, depending on how heavy they're going and the, the, the uh, intensity, if they're going like 
one to three range, I'm going to add in a 90% set where I'm just going to hit one rep, just hit one clean rep. Don't get tired. Don't grind at all. Cause what also happens is, is it's a, it's, I'm sneaking in a little readiness test, right? I always joke that you can tell how your day is going to go by your second warm up set. Like if you hit that 75% and it's like, Whoa, that feels way heavier than it should right now. Then, you know, I got to be a little more cautious going into that first work set. But if you hit that 70% or even that 90% one, you're like, wow, that jumped, that feels light, then I know today may be a good day. So it's actually a cool little readiness uh, gauge as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny you say that because, uh, so I'm going to be leaving in a few days here to go to, to England for the IPL, uh, drug tested, uh, powerlifting worlds. And, uh, I have a client of mine, we've been, you know, preparing for this and he's qualified for the worlds. And, uh, when we are deadlifting, we deadlift two days a week and our warm up those two days a week are identical every, and the numbers are identical. Here's why, um, this guy loves predictability and he does a really good job when everything is routine. So he knows what his warm up is every day. And for the most part, we've dialed in his, uh, his training protocol. So we, you know, we know that the majority of the time he's ready to go. There are some occasions where again, he's not feeling it. And, you know, he'll be like, yeah, I wasn't feeling good on my last two sets of deads. And that'll be a day where we have to say, you know what? Um, today's not the day to, to hit our normal numbers. All we're going to do is we're going to use today's a setup day. What does that mean? We're going to take today's session. We're going to change it a little bit. Maybe we're going to cut the volume, um, whatever. We're not going to throw it out, but we're just going to set it up. So tomorrow can be a really, really good day. So a lot of the times when you go in and, and, and you feel like, Hey, you know, your readiness isn't there, or you're really feeling tired. Don't throw, don't throw that session away. Use that opportunity to work on the things that need to be worked on. And then, um, the next day or two days after you can try to do it again. And we're going to talk about adjusting for readiness in a little bit, but I wanted to talk quickly about how you can, like you said, implement the idea of readiness into task specific warmups and warming up for the big lifts. Because if we know, like with my guy, we always know that 315 is his last single of his warmup. Now, for some people, that's a workup, but you know, this guy's got, you know, his his one RMs right around 500. So, you know, I have no issue with him going up to 315 um twice a week. Um he, he does great with it. Um, he seems to enjoy it and his body responds. So that's a perfect example of ways that you can use uh use consistent warm-ups for the big lifts, but also because you're doing the same lifts, same sets and reps and same load day in and day out, it's going to give you some insight on where your nervous system is. And then, um, we can adjust it down the road based off of readiness. And Eric and I are going to, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about that, but there's, there's a lot that you can get when you're paying attention. And I think that's the one thing that people miss out on warmups is they just think it's literally like a, it's the equivalent of going to the bathroom before you, you know, go work out. It's like, there's a lot more to it than just that. Now, something we probably should have hit earlier because it would have fit in a little bit nicer when we're talking about mobility. But the other thing that's part of a warm up that is that is often hotly debated is uh, the use of fo like foam rolling and soft tissue work. And uh, one is I don't understand the debate. I understand the genesis of it is because there's not really good solid a lot of really good solid research that shows it, but like here's my research. I feel a lot better. I don't feel like shit anymore. Like that is all research. the research I need. Like that if your client feels better after five minutes of foam rolling, then why not do it? It's, it's low cost. It's low risk. It's not going to, if you're doing everything else after that, that we're talking about, it's not going to take away from the, from the workout. If anything, it's going to gain because now they just, you know, flat out feel better. Now in terms of soft tissue work, there also is different levels and there's different styles of, of how you would do that self-administered soft tissue work. And we had this conversation with Dr. Megan Helwig on our show a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, right now, if, if you had kind of just two separate categories, you have like lacrosse balls and foam rollers and uh, those sorts of things where it's more, for lack of a better term, you're kind of more mashing the tissue and it's in, in doing that where then the other side of things where you have massage guns, uh, have become really big. It's more of a percussion um, based thing. What I found, and, and, and Dr. Helwig said the same thing, is I found is generally the more percussion based stuff, like a, a massage gun, seems to work a little better in the warm up, um, unless you have a really specific tissue that is that you need to clean up 
before you get started. So someone comes in and says, yeah, you know, I, I slept around my shoulders really jacked up and we need to get this thing moving again. Um, that's a little bit different story, but in terms of just foam rolling in terms of warming up, cause I remember the company, the stick that does the rolling stick did some research and they showed that, you know, just using that will create the same, um, within the tissue, the same warm up as, as like going for a light jog. So there is a warm up component to that, but soft tissue work in the beginning, um, I would do it before I do any extensibility work. Like that should be the very, very first thing, like grab a roller, grab a ball, whatever you're going to use or massage gun, do that first before you go and start trying to create any extensibility or mobility to get good tissue quality and then build from there. And if you build it right, whatever you did up front, as long as it feels good and it's not too aggressive, I think it has a huge place in a warm-up. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things about whether it's research on foam rolling or static stretching, um, there's always those people that bring out the PubMed articles and they're like, well, this says, and it's like, well, I don't care what that says because you're not training my client. And you made a great point, Eric. It's like, look, if it helps them feel better and there's no negative repercussions, why not do it? Now, look, if you look at the research on foam rolling, um, the only thing that we concretely know is that you've got a short window where you're going to have due to improved blood flow and, and a few other reasons, you're going to have a, a window where you do have a little bit more mobility slash flexibility. You do have a, a short window where doing a little bit of soft tissue work will help, you know, improve that. Um, but uh, we also have to determine, like Eric said, what tool are we using? Um, I think people are far too aggressive with their soft tissue work and um, what do they do? They just grab something that's going to put them in pain and they think it's going to be a positive experience because well, if it hurts more, it's got to be good. Right. But when you understand neurology and you understand how the body responds, if you do something that is incredibly painful, your body's not going to relax. Your body's going to tighten up. And that's what happens when you're too aggressive with your soft tissue work. Right. Um, you, you, you get into a hot spot or a trigger point, whatever you want to call it. And you completely hold your breath. You completely tighten up. Well, guess what? Now all of that soft tissue work that you have been doing is, is, is somewhat counterproductive because you're just, you're holding your breath and you're staying as tight as possible. And that tissue is not going to change because you are already in this sort of high threshold situation. So, um, that's another thing too, is, you know, when you are using a tool, start some, start with something that is lighter and something that isn't super aggressive, and then slowly add the aggressiveness as you continue to develop, because there's a desensitization component of where your body just adapts to it. There's all these things that happen, but start light and then move and then go from there. Right. Um, you don't have to get out the, uh, you know, the rumble roller and then put a plate on your leg with rumble rollers and try to, you know, tenderize the meat in your legs. You don't have to do that. I'm really, the goal of it is just to give us a temporary window to improve blood flow, to improve our movement competency. So when we do do our larger global movement patterns, hopefully we're going to get a little bit of that to stick. And then over time, those short-term adaptations are going to turn into, uh, uh, sorry, those short-term changes are going to hopefully end up with uh, long-term adaptations. But there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just hammering you know, your quads and then going from there. But we have to think about every component of how the body is responding because um, it, we can't compartmentalize things. It's the nervous system, right? It takes all the information that we have and it responds accordingly. So we just have to do our best to make the best decisions possible. And hopefully our interventions will result in a positive adaptation. Now, in terms of actually warming up, there could be two phases of this. Um, we know that you'll have better tissue extensibility when you're warm. That's why cold yoga never took off, but hot yoga did. Um, and so, you know, whether that's just getting on a bike, whether that's a, a walk on a treadmill, just something to get a light sweat going that doesn't require a lot of movement, meaning it doesn't require a lot of mobility because we haven't hit that yet, right? It doesn't require a lot of control because we haven't gotten there yet. So something like that, that's just going to get the tissue warm is, is going to be beneficial. And it doesn't need to be a lot, two to three minutes, right? And then from there, we might want to ramp up again, okay? And, and that's where we're going to use, especially if we're doing something really dynamic, implements the use of either some extensive or intensive work, you know, using things uh, you know, like a plyo type, type of movement. So extensive being like, I'm going to get a jump rope. Right. And this is great. I love it. I think jump rope is one of the most underutilized and most valuable tools you can have. 
Um, it, it works on posture, it works on the rhythm, it works on a whole bunch of stuff, but that's a good extensive activity where you're getting lots of contacts. Even here is, even though I kind of shit on speed ladders a lot because of what people think that they do, but this is one place where a speed ladder might actually be beneficial, um, where you can get some rhythmic type, extensive type of work within there or any type low level hops or skiers or those types of things. Then if you're going to be doing more intensive work where you're going to be doing jumps or Olympic lifts or something explosive within the workout, you need to ramp up the, the intensive component of that where there's a, there's a little bit more demand and don't just go into your max broad jump or box jump, gradually work up to those. Um, just like you, like, just like we would when I mentioned about the lifts. Now, how long each person takes is going to be unique. Now, let me transfer this over into sports. And I talk, talk a lot about this with my baseball pitchers. And I steal this from golf. If you, if you take the TPI power course, it's, it's awesome. And they have Jason Zubak, who's one of the greatest long drive champions in the world. And what he actually did is use the data to look at his ramp up time to say, okay, how many swings does it take for me to get to max velocity? Um, and for him, it was something crazy. It was like well over a hundred swings just to get to his, his peak velocity. And so I would tell pitchers that whether you're a starting pitcher or you're a relief pitcher, you have to kind of know in your head, like, what is your range? It takes you to really get to where you feel loose, but use data to, to give you feedback, whether you're doing a rap soda or something like that to, to give you feedback to say, okay, it takes me 25 pitches. It takes me 35 pitches. It takes me eight pitches to really get up to that peak. And so you have to kind of gauge that to know how long is it going to take me to warm up. So I'm not just going cold. So you can use feedback of things like a, a, a VBT, a velocity-based training uh, training device, where it'll give you actual digital feedback, where you could say, okay, I because I'm doing nervous system-based stuff, I can see my numbers getting higher and higher and higher and higher, and I don't want to leave a lot of meat on the bone in my in my work. So I might need to add in extra warm-up sets for that person who takes longer to ramp up. Now, just anecdotally, I'll tell you what I found is the people who are generally more of the jacked kind of fast twitch type of people, they ramp up quicker than the more, the more, it's a terrible term, but more kind of mushier type of softer type bodies, they take, they will take a lot more of this type of work to get loose. But, uh, you know, that's another thing to consider in terms of your ramp up period to get to where you're going to get to peak, um, output and specifically for speed and power. Yeah, no, I mean, it's specificity is king, right? And, and I think the most important thing we need to really think about is depending on what block you are in, in the training session, uh, you need to prepare accordingly. And I think a lot of people don't do that. Um, if you're going to move fast, you have to start getting your body prepared to move fast, et cetera. So, um, it sounds very simple, but, um, Look, like a lot of the stuff that we talk about, um, it's a it's an inch wide and a mile deep. I mean, there is so much that you can get from a really, really good warm-up. I would even argue that um, GPP, skill acquisition, all of those other things, even aerobic work, um, you know, depending on what you're doing, can be all great tools, but you have to know what tools to use and how to approach those tools and understand a little bit of physiology. You meant agility ladder. Like, I think the agility ladder is absolutely trash for true agility work, but for footwork, for coordination, for tempo, I love it. It's a fantastic, it's a fantastic drill for that. Now, as far as I know, there are no agility ladder world championships. So I don't have to put together, you know, a Soviet periodation scheme to make sure that my, my speed ladder is optimal. But um, at the same time, it can be a tool to ramp up the nervous system, to get some foot contacts in, to just get your feet going. So, um, each tool has certain things that it's really good at and certain things that it's not so good at. And as a coach, it's your job to determine what tool am I going to use to facilitate the desired adaptation? And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned earlier, it is a magic window of time that we, that we lose that opportunity cost if we don't leverage it to get some of that skill acquisition. And we've had both, you know, Paul Colodi, we've had um, Kevin Vanderbush, two of the best high school strength coaches out there who talk about like they get a lot of kids who come to them. They don't get a lot of PE. They have very low physical literacy. And now he's he's 
tasked with making them more athletic. Well, he can sneak in a lot of that physical literacy, some of those good fundamental patternings within that warmup, you know, and for the people, you know, the quote unquote, uh, corrective exercise people, this is where we sneak it in because, you know, a lot of people aren't going to do those exercises at home. They're not going to follow through. So I can, I can sneak this artfully in as part of your warmup and that's where it's going to get addressed. Now, the other learning opportunity is for us to learn. Now, the reason why I talked about with the ramp up period, that there's a range that there's going to be those days that pitcher may need 15 pitches and they're good. And then they may need 25 on another day and they're good. And that's because everybody's readiness changes based on our sleep, based on our nutrition, our hydration, our, our mental state. So all those things are going to adjust. And so having the warm up is our ability to adjust for someone's readiness. Now I look at it, the clients I see regularly, I look at their movement readiness when they come in to see me and I go through a quick movement screen. That's not a whole FMS or anything like that. It is just simple things like touch your toes, rotate right to left, extend back, reach behind your back, squat down and, and going through that quick readiness. If, if I look and see, okay, well, normally this person touches their toes, no problem. But today they're struggling a little bit. They're, they're holding their breath when they touch their toes. Well, shit, I had deadlifts on the program for today. I either have to uh, do one of three things. I either have to, one, I have to clean that toe touch and hip hinging up um, before I even touch that bar. Or two, I'm going to have to change the plan altogether. So before I go and you know scrap everything, I'm just going to add to my warm-up some very specific things to those patterns that they're lacking. So we'll go through and just work on hip hinging type of, of activities and then go back and recheck their toe touch. And if it's like, oh, that's way better, I'm good. Now we can go in just cautiously into that you know, deadlift or whatever you know, uh, workout we we're gonna do. If after those activities, it doesn't really clean up and their toe touch still stinks, now I can scrap the program and I'm gonna have to readjust. So in terms of adjusting for readiness, I'm adjusting for not only their readiness in terms of where's their HRV and their resting heart rate and all their physiology, I'm also looking at their movement readiness and I'm adjusting accordingly based on that. Well, you know what? It, and I love that because you're not just saying, hey, I know you had a late night or a busy weekend, let's just scrap today. Like you can't do that because look, if we, if I don't know about you, Eric, but if I scrapped every workout that at the beginning, I didn't feel great. I would just be laying on the couch all day because, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, you got to commit in my opinion. And, and I, and I've said this to all of my combat athletes. It's like, look, don't scrap the workout until you've done a really, really, really good warmup. Right. And, and that could include some readiness, right. That could include the toe touch, right. Because you may feel good. But maybe your body isn't necessarily prepared. Here's a perfect example. Like, like what can improve your toe touch? You know, you can, let's be honest. You could, you could drink, you could chug a martini and smoke a joint and you get a better toe touch. Does that mean that you're ready to exercise? No, it just means you've made a change. So we have to also di distinguish and determine like, what is the change that we're looking for? Like, what is the desired change that we're looking for? Um, and uh, anything can, can make a change in movement, right? Um, bad and good. So you just have to determine what is your strategy to improve movement? What is your strategy? Well, actually, you shouldn't have a, st a strategy to ruin movement, but what is your strategy to get someone moving, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit better? So, you know, I, I think we really need to start doing a better job at just paying attention overall as well. And, and you know, Eric, you were talking about, you know, the toe touch and the hip, the, the hip hinge for readiness. Look, we've got data, we've got HRV, we can use every device we have to look at our metrics, but at the end of the day, I think awareness and, and knowing your body, being a master of your own body and understanding um, the nuances of your body and really paying attention, I think is one of the most powerful things you can do as an athlete to really take care of yourself. Now, we also mentioned earlier about based on someone's readiness, um, where you can also leverage breathing. So let's say that person comes in and they're super stressed out and you can tell that they're like, their head's not there and, they, and they're just psychologically challenged at, at that given moment. That's where I want to actually do things that are going to really use their breath. Like let's get you, you know, on the floor and let's get you doing some stuff where I can kind of reset you into a more parasympathetic state. Cause if not anything I teach you, anything we try to learn um, is, is not going to get learned all that well. And not to mention you, it may be dangerous because your nervous system is someplace else. Now the opposite could be true where maybe you're dragging a little bit. And maybe, you know, the session's a little earlier than you used to, whatever it is, we might want to ramp it up. Well, 
you know, breathing does the opposite as well. If you exaggerate the exhale, that's going to have more of a calming parasympathetic effect. If you exaggerate the inhale and shorten the exhale, it's actually going to ramp you up. And that's where I'll leverage something like a Wim Hof type of breathing. If I'm trying to get you ramped up, I might have you like do a couple rounds of Wim Hof type breathing just to kind of get you ramped up. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, wow, I'm feeling so much better. Like that just kind of woke me up. So that's the way you can, you can play that a little bit. And, and talking about playing it is that a great training session, whether you're running it for someone else or you're planning it for yourself, a great training session is like you go to um, a great concert or you go to uh, somewhere where there's a DJ and they're really masterful at how they work the ebb and flow of the crowd. Like if you went and saw, I, I don't know, if you just pick a band and if you went and saw Billy Joel and he opens with Piano Man, it's like, well, shit, like now, like everything's downhill for me, right? <laughs> so you have to, you have to then think about um, how am I going to play this in, in a great session should have this bell curve where it gradually ramps up, ramps up and hits this crescendo. And then it shouldn't just fall off a cliff. It shouldn't be like the person's huffing and puffing, or they just drop the biggest weight in the gym. And then they grab their keys like, all right, got to go. There needs to be this, this gradual drop off as well. And I think that's another thing that's hugely underappreciated is the power of a cool down. And the cool down is just the, should be almost like a mirror of the, um, of what happened in the warm-up. It's just in, in reverse, right? So instead of gradually getting people prepared, you're gradually getting people chilled down to where they can walk out the door. And so your recovery starts, and I steer this still is from Dr. Andy Galpin, your recovery starts at the end of your last set. So if we do a really good cool down that is focused on that parasympathetic type breathing, and then I can sneak in some mobility work with that, or maybe just, I just have them do some visualization and just look, close your eyes. You're going to lay in a long foam roller and just breathe. And I'm putting a timer next to you for five minutes and just breathe for five minutes. Like that has incredible power in terms of helping the, the reset process and kind of jumpstarting that right away. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's uh, interesting this month we are incorporating at the end of each, uh, class box breathing, and it's a modification of box box breathing, uh, where we're emphasizing a little bit more on the autonomic pause, but, and it's just very, very simple teaching people in that hook line position, how to focus on breathing and, and how to understand a relative cadence on, you know, inhalation, exhalation, autonomic pause, how that all fits together. Um, cause just breathing on your back is very different than being purposeful and intentful with, you know, whether you're doing diaphragmatic breathing or whether you're doing box breathing, right? Your, your breathing should have an, if you're doing a, a cool down at the end of a training session, your breathing should match the goal of the cool down, right? You're not going to lay down in a hook lying position, do Wim Hof. Like it's just not the time for it, right? You're not going to be hyperventilating. Well, you might be hyperventilating at the end of a training session, but it's probably not voluntarily. Um, but, but I think the key here, right, is to, you know, get to a position at the end of a training session where you can just down regulate and relax. Now look, don't do a bunch of bike sprints like Eric said or do something heavy and then, you know, say see you later. We want that bell curve. We want a slow ramp up and a and a ramp down. So, you know, at the end of your training session, um once you're done, take a few minutes, walk around, you know, help facilitate that that um heart rate recovery, right? By just moving around. And then once you get back to sort of a normal uh conversational type breathing pattern, you know, go down to the 90-90 position, go to hook lying. Uh, you can use some of the Agoski rescue positions, but just get in a position that you're very, very comfortable where you can just focus on breathing. And uh, you'd be amazed at what three to four minutes of purposeful breathing will do um, for just about anybody, because most people don't take a few minutes to just chill. And um, not only is it good for the body, but it's good for the mind. And, and I think a lot of people could absolutely benefit from you know, a few minutes of quiet time each day. Yeah. And, and the thing I would say is it's another opportunity to sneak some stuff in. So if you want to sneak in a little mobility work, or you want to sneak in a little, you know, T-spine rotation or whatever it is that this person lacks, it's a good reinforcement at the end. And because it's another one of those things where it's like, when someone gets up from the cool down, not only do they have the, still some of those endorphins from whatever they hit on their crescendo, whether it was a bike sprint or whether it was a heavy deadlift, but now they also have the flip side of like this, this, this kind of really warm chill to them that it's like, wow, I feel great. 
And I can't tell you how many people finish that, that cool down. And it's like, wow, that was awesome. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, is what is the finishing touches on a really great training session. And, and I think it's incredibly important. And the, the basic goal is I want to have you walking out of here at the same or lower heart rate than you walked in at. Um, and so that's kind of how we work through this whole ebb and flow. And then what we fill in the middle is, is, is just as artful, but everybody focuses on that middle piece. And, and what we really wanted to hammer home today is the importance of the beginning and the end, which make that middle piece stick much better and make that middle piece much more um, uh, rewarding, much more valuable, and then also much more enjoyable for the people because they've, they didn't jump right into it and they didn't jump right out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, uh, it's something that, um, like anything, it needs to be done with intent and, uh, based off of science, but you know, it's like anything, you should have a reason for everything you do in your training session. If you don't have a reason, then you should rethink about why it's actually in there in the first place. And so that's going to just about wrap this up. We're going to have a couple more of these in the coming months where Mike and I are just going to go solo, but we're back to another great guest next week. Um, if you really like what we talked about as far as warmups, uh, we do have a brand new course that we just released called Primed, where we teach you our warmup system. Uh, we go through the whole 244, the reasoning for it, how you program warmups. We show you all of our favorite drills for, so you have a huge menu to choose from for uh, each of those key areas for ankles and, and hips and, and for trunk and shoulders. And if you say, you know, what, I don't, even, I don't want to learn all of it. Just give me a warm up. Well, we have those two. We have pre-programmed warmups that are 10 to 12 minutes. All you got to do is just, you know, if you have a group facility, just put it on the TV and hit play and say, follow along. Or if you have a client, just send it to them, say, just follow this warm up, and then you can go. So those are all in there. And that's in a program called prime. But, uh, if you want to check that out, uh, you can, you can do that. Uh, on our website. And if uh, Mike, you have any closing thoughts before we, we wrap up? No, I mean, you know, it, for those people who think that warmups are a waste of time, um, you're wrong. And, uh, you know, I want you to start thinking about your warmup being just as important as your deadlift or your bench press or your squat or your sprints. And um, because look, that is how you efficiently prepare your body to train at a high level. So uh, don't skip your warmups. Don't skip your prep sets. Uh, spend 12 to 15 minutes taking care of your body and, uh, you know, chip away at it. And eventually you're going to move better. You're going to feel better. You're going to get a little bit stronger. And, uh, you know, you're not going to be fighting yourself in the process. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. And and one last point to kind of wrap it up. And, and I'm sure you can concur with this, Mike. Almost every time I've hurt myself in the gym, Usually the, when I, when I tell the story to somebody, it has one or two starts to the story is one, I did something really stupid, right. Where, you know, I, I was, I really should have went for 315, but I'm like, screw it. Let me try for 350. Right. Or, and, or, you know, I was in a rush and I got hurt. The warm up is getting us to not be in a rush. And if, as Mike said, if you don't have time to do the warm up, well, then you don't have time to do those high intense activities either. Absolutely. So, um, you know, look, we've covered a lot and, and we could, we could probably do an eight hour course just on warmups, but, um, at the end of the day, it's not just about picking five to six exercise randomly and hoping it goes well. Everything you do from a coaching, from a program design, from an educational standpoint should have a purpose. So check your work, right? Look at what you're doing. Does it have a purpose? And uh, if it doesn't have a purpose, you need to start sort of self-analyzing and, and looking at what you're writing to make sure that you're checking your own work. And, uh, you know, that's something that people don't do. So every aspect of your training program, from the warmups all the way to the cool down, it needs to be done with intent. It needs to have a reason and it needs to be done correctly. And uh, I can't, I cannot um, sort of hammer this home enough. Don't skip the warmups. Just don't skip the warmups. Good stuff. And we'll end it on that. Thank you, Mr. Perry. And thank you for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets, as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. 
For more information on the principles of program design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.